Hello and welcome to Beauty Island, the award-nominated beauty podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I am your host, beauty journalist Brittany Stewart. If you are new here or you just need a little recap, each episode I sit down with a guest and ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them. The ones they take to a desert island, aka beauty island, that I am sending them off to. Maybe it's the first beauty product they ever bought, the one that gives them their signature look, or the perfume that instantly sparks a memory of a special place or person. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career, and the people and events that have shaped them into who they are today. Today, my guest is Jessica Nguyen, home cook, food influencer, recipe creator, and so-called shameless head chef, thanks to her weekly recipe you might have seen in their newsletter. But while you may know her from her meteoric rise as a food influencer, gaining over 45,000 followers in just six months, Jess is an experienced marketing, PR, and influencer manager with over 10 years' experience in the beauty industry at brands like L'Oreal and Mecca. We talked about the secrets of influencer marketing, what it's like when the tables turn and you become an influencer yourself, how a focaccia marked the start of a journey for a whole new career after redundancy, why chili oil is good on everything, and, among many great recommendations from her beauty days, the case for trying a stick foundation. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on Spotify if you haven't already. And I'm excited to announce that Beauty Island is now also on Amazon Music. Or you can, it is also super helpful if you recommend to a friend or many friends by sharing a screenshot on your Instagram story or just sending them the link. Don't forget to tag at Beauty Island Podcast if you post on Instagram so I can see. As an independent podcaster, those things really help more people discover the podcast, which means that I can keep on making it for you. I also have a regular beauty newsletter. It's a beauty. The link to sign up is in the show notes. Now, over to Jess. Enjoy. Jess, welcome to Beauty Island. I am very excited to be chatting all things food and beauty with you today. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. So, I suppose... Those kind of two things, food and beauty, have and increasingly in the last few months become not just passions of yours, but also career work for you. So I think a good place to start is kind of at the beginning of thus of the beginning of both of those. So if you cast your mind back first, what was your first memory around beauty that you can recall? Would be when I think as a child, just watching my my mum and my dad using beauty products and it was mainly skincare. So I think just kind of watching them put on their moisturizer every morning. And I think that's something they've instilled in me to really look after my skin. And and from there, I kind of grew into um, a beauty career that now has transitioned over to food. So both things I absolutely love. (laughs) And that is the first product on your list, kind of one that you grew up seeing, which is, of course, the iconic oil of, uh, I think it was the oil of Ulay, which has now become Olay, the moisturizer. And I love that it's not just your mum, but also your dad that influenced you with using yeah, that. Yeah, it was, it was kind of just a family staple, like what you would put on after the shower. And 
I think for them, they've always instilled the idea that your skin is one of the most important things you need to be looking after. So whether it was moisturiser or sunscreen or anything, it was something that, yeah, I just kind of learnt off them and have now just carried on into my own life. Super important. And then when it comes to food, obviously there's kind of there's kind of two school schools of thought, I think, growing up. You're either a family that treats food as fuel or a family that treats food as at the very least, an expression of love uh, and so much more. So what kind of foodie environment were you brought up around? Definitely the second one. (laughs) I think anyone who grows up in an Asian household would know that that's pretty much the Asian love language and you, you live to eat, you don't eat to live and everything is centered around food, whether it's a celebration, a commiseration, a family meal every day or a get together that is really yeah food was pretty much everything in our family and still is and I think that's kind of why I've grown to really love it and appreciate it now. Now if we were to kind of dive into the Jess archives and and dig out your school reports what would they say about you what would we learn about what you were like as a teenager? Um, (laughs) That's a funny one I would say I was a pretty hard working slash studying uh, student. I quite stereotypical in, in any kind of Asian family told to really study and do well. And that was something that I definitely did, especially in high school. And then that carried into uni. But I remember basically yeah, studying all week. And then on Saturdays, I would spend um, the whole day doing dancing. So I used to dance from the age of three to 18 and then became a dance teacher until 21. So that was my life. And I did that for about 15 hours a week. And then on Sundays, I would go to Vietnamese language school. So from nine to 12, um, study that um, so that I knew how to speak and write in Vietnamese, which was something that was quite important to my parents. And I hated it at the time, but looking back now and obviously being able to speak it and um, appreciate it, um, I'm pretty grateful that that was something I did. But when you look at that kind of timetable and schedule, that was pretty much seven days a week of studying slash hobbying and, and all of that. So I was a very busy child. <laughs> very busy. It's a full schedule. Yeah, very, very. But I think that's what has, um, I guess, instilled that type of work ethic for me. But yeah, looking back, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> And I think it's always interesting, particularly when people have, you know, you spent, I'm trying to do quick maths in my head, almost 18 years dancing. Yeah, okay. pretty <laughs> weird. Yeah. I always think it's interesting because obviously when you're doing dance with performances, beauty and makeup is a large part of that performance aspect of it. And I think it can kind of either go two ways of, outside of dance is almost a rebellion against that very kind of heavy and it's stage makeup isn't it on dance um or was that kind of a way that fed into an interest in beauty for you um definitely fed in for me I think uh dancing and beauty and all other art forms is a great way to express yourself so 
obviously with um, dancing you have very what would I how would I say it it's very, the makeup is um, very over the top because it needs to be prominent under stage lights so it's very uh, pronounced I distinctly remember wearing oh, I think it was manicure size J lashes lashes that would touch the top of your brows they were that ridiculous I felt like you know, they were cow lashes or so, and you would have very pronounced eyeshadow, very long eyeliner, liquid eyeliner. But I guess that was really fun for me because you you change into a different character um, depending on the makeup. And um, as a kid, when I was three, obviously my mum would do the makeup for me. But as I got older and probably went into my teens, say around 13 or so, I got to the point where <laughs> I did it myself and I, I wouldn't let my mum do it anymore and I was very quite pedantic about how I did things like the liquid eyeliner or how I stuck the lashes on with the glue and and all of that. So it definitely really fed into my uh, love and obsession with beauty. The second product on your list is kind of the first product that you remember buying with your own money or for yourself, which is the L'Oreal True Match Foundation when you were 16. Tell me a bit more about this one and why you said it was kind of a revelation for you. Um, it was a revelation because I think back then there wasn't any type of drugstore brand or foundation range that had what I would call back then an extensive foundation shade range. Um, for me with my skin tone I needed something that was quite medium to deep in skin tone but very more so yellow based and I felt like all the foundations I used to try to buy and wear when I was you know in my pharmacy or um, local store was always very pink based and it never felt right and I distinctly remember when L'Oreal launched true match foundation i think it was jennifer lopez and eva longoria back in the day that they used to model it and i went and bought it and it was it was like the first foundation match i could find so that was a revelation to me because i finally found a foundation that matched me which sounds crazy these days but that was definitely a revelation for a 16 year old <laughs> and I think that's something really interesting as well, because it's like, particularly when you're a teenager, it's like you don't have the budget for the expensive stuff. So it doesn't matter if the high, it's, and it's not always been the case, but it doesn't matter if the high end brands have the, have a, a more extensive range. It's about what you can get at the chemist, because that's all you can afford when you're younger and not just when you're younger as well for a lot of people. It was also a great product because, well, it was the first liquid foundation I used because I tried things like powders and um, I was obviously used to, I don't even know if you remember, but do you remember Max Factor? It was called like Pan Stick and mm, it was yeah. a really heavy foundation that you would wear. That was the first introduction to foundation to me when I was dancing because that's what you had to wear and it was always three to four shades darker. So it was even more of a revelation for me when I found True Match because it was a really nice medium coverage foundation that was liquid and a really nice matching in terms of skin tone. So, um, yeah, 
that's one of my favorite products from high school that I remember. You went on to study commerce marketing and actually ended up starting your career at L'Oreal, I think, starting with an internship and then really working your way up, looking after Maybelline New York and then a whole kind of uh, folio of brands within L'Oreal. Tell me a bit about those early years, uh, you know, carving a career for yourself in, in marketing and beauty. That was a, I love that time in my life in the early 20s, but um, you're right. I started off interning at L'Oreal and it's a funny story because um, I think back then there weren't really that many internships and um, paid internships. And so in like my second year of uni, I kind of saw L'Oreal as the holy grail in terms of internships that I had to get. And also obviously being a beauty company, there weren't, and there still really isn't any other beauty companies that offer full-time paid internships in Melbourne. So I kind of made that my quest for like a whole year and a half. I remember I applied up to three times um, and got it the third time lucky, which was really great. And yeah, ended up deferring uni for a year. So you you basically secure an internship uh, in your penultimate year. And so I deferred uni in my second to third year and worked there full time as a marketing intern. My first brand was Garnier Hair Color, which was ironic because I'd never colored my hair in my life. Um, so that was really interesting learning about that. But then, yeah, over the years, I worked there for nearly eight years and then transitioned into makeup. So I was looking after brands like Maybelline New York for a really long time across different categories and then other brands, including NYX Professional Makeup. This It was obviously the start of my career, but it was a great way for me to learn about beauty from all different facets from you know different categories to even you in terms of brand management from a marketing perspective um, things like managing a product portfolio and being able to decide and choose on which products you're going to bring into the Australian market from international brands and localize it to to be relevant to the Australian consumer um, yeah it was a, ma- a major part of my life nearly nearly a decade when you think about it I feel like I I only um I do things that for a very long period of time <laughs> if you haven't noticed before we leave teenage you behind the third product on your list is kind of the two products that define your teens and both revolve around eyelashes so we've got an eyelash curler and then the Maybelline Colossal Cat Eyes waterproof mascara so tell me about why those two have made the list? I think with eyelashes and especially curled eyelashes, there's something about it that if you just curl your lashes, you'll you'll look and feel awake, or at least that's how I feel. And I feel I could potentially walk out of the house with just that and I would feel kind of done in the same way that people would fluff up their brows or maybe put on a little bit of concealer. So... Um, definitely an eyelash curler. I think it's a staple in, it should be a staple in anybody's uh, makeup routine or makeup bag. And then specifically the Maybelline New York Colossal Cat Eyes 
waterproof mascara, which is a mouthful in itself, but oh my God, we used to have very convoluted names, um, was a great, <laughs> right? We used to um, have that skew and it was the only mascara and pretty much is still to this day, except for another mascara that I love now, that was able to hold the curl in my eyelashes um, and obviously being waterproof was, was great because it didn't um, smudge and it would last all day. Um, I think... The other thing with it, because it was cat eyes mascara, it had this crazy ass claw, claw brush. And so it grabbed onto all of your lashes really well, or at least mine. So it was a bit gimmicky, but it worked for me. So I, and I remember when, um, actually this is a funny story. Uh, my colleague back then who was looking after the eyes portfolio of Maybelline, she reluctantly had to discontinue it because it wasn't performing well <laughs> so I remember just like hoarding so many of them <laughs> that even when I left L'Oreal I still had 10 or so of them and I think if I go into my beauty cabinet there will be at least five colossal cat eyes somewhere <laughs> I love that. yeah I was that obsessed with it that I was mortified when it was getting discontinued so I like stockpiled till 2020 now <laughs> so you uh were working in pr and marketing at l'oreal and then obviously later mecca really at a time where well influencer marketing probably didn't exist when you started your career at l'oreal it must have been the very early stages of it and obviously your role at mecca was focused specifically on influencer relations what might people outside the industry be surprised to know about how influencer marketing works I think people would be surprised to realise that it definitely works depending on who it is you're working with. And I think um, it's a very, it's obviously a very specific form of marketing and it can be really complicated, but it's really great at promoting your brand in a different way that you wouldn't be able to. And I, for me, I think I kind of fell into it because back when I was working at L'Oreal, I remember in 2012, my boss at the time, she asked me to look after our Instagram account because she had no idea what that was. And I, I didn't even know what that was. I think I just made an account the year before. And so that's really when social media, especially within Instagram, was starting to just take off in a really organic way. And do you remember when it must have been, it was 2013 and like nails were booming as a, as a business and it was all about nail art. And it was from a beauty perspective, all about beauty flat lays. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for me, I, I was managing the account and I was looking up or like seeing who was talking about us. And from there, I kind of just developed this very organic relationship with a lot of the beauty bloggers within Australia um, via our Instagram. And, and from there, it just became this real passion and, and love for people who also loved my brand online. Um, so that's kind of how I fell into influencer marketing because I ended up being the only person 
well, one of the few people who knew how that worked and um, had built relationships with those people. And I guess that's how I then became specialised in it and then moved into a role that was entirely all about that at NECAS. And I suppose, obviously now, and we'll get into this very shortly, but how does it feel being almost on the other side of things as you are now when as, you know, as this, as a home cook and with, you know, over 30,000 followers on Instagram, you are now the influencer? I know it's wild, right? (laughs) It's 2020 and anything is possible. I, I actually have developed such an appreciation for the work that content creators, influencers, and anybody who works in that space um, does because I don't think I truly, you never truly understand and appreciate something until you actually do it. So I always had an idea being on the other side and and being the person who was managing talent or, um, you know, booking campaigns. However, now when you do it, you realise sometimes how hard it is and then you get different perspectives, which I think makes it better for me when I'm working with brands or publications because I have the understanding from both sides. So it's it's crazy to think, but I think it's really good. And um, I'm pretty lucky that I had that background because I think if I didn't, then I would feel pretty lost right now trying to navigate because I think it is a real crazy world out there sometimes, especially on social media, as you can imagine. The fourth product on your list is the perfume that has a special memory or meaning for you. And you have two go-to perfumes that you love. So tell me about what they are and why you love them. My two go-to perfumes are Diptyque in Dosson and Olene. So I tend to gravitate towards definitely floral fragrances. I love the smell of white flowers or like specifically narcissus flowers. So they are like bulb types. So think like jonquils and hyacinths and tulips. That kind of smell that you would get actually at winter right now. So Olene is pretty much that but it's got a little bit of like that jasmine gardenia scent to it which I also really love so that's a go-to for me um, and then Dosson is kind of similar but um, a little bit different in terms of floral and it's inspired by um, Vietnam as well even though it's a it's a French fragrance it's it's inspired by um, the scents of Vietnam and obviously that's my heritage and um, I love Um, any kind of different and unique floral scents. So to me, those are quite unique. Um, And I kind of interchange between the two and have probably used it over the last four years now. We've talked a bit about beauty and now I'd love to talk more about food as well, because obviously this has become a major part of your year and signaling a whole new chapter in your career. So I'm sure a lot of people will have discovered you through food. So tell me how we got here, What, how this happened from, you know, I imagine, which has always been a passion. And I've read that, you know, 
it was something that you kind of considered or wanted to pursue as kind of a side hustle previously but what happened this year that made you was the impetus for actually starting to do it sure (laughs) how long have you got um it's honestly it's just still so wild to me I, I if you had have told me this was going to happen to myself and all of us wouldn't have believed you at all and especially my personal circumstance but I have always loved food and had sporadically shared a few of my dishes or dinners that I've put on over the years via Instagram as as like a little step-by-step tutorial but never anything um super regularly or dedicated and in March in early March I was unfortunately made redundant at my at my last job and from there whilst I was trying to find a new job we all went into lockdown number one into forced isolation and yeah it was for me it was quite hard to to find a new job so I kind of spent those first two weeks of ISO doing something that I loved and for me that was food so the first, one of the first things I decided to do was bake focaccia and it was so fun and therapeutic and that's the kind of stuff that I that I really loved and then from there um, I shared a few of those recipes and people I guess at that time it was just like a perfect storm because everyone was wanting recipes and ideas to cook at home and it just kind of swelled into this surge of one followers but then interest and then equal love of cooking at home and and food and from there um, a couple of publications asked me to share a couple of recipes for them and fast track to four months later now which is wild to say it's now a full-time career so it's something that I do now as a as a as a full-on job I got an ABN a year a a month later and um became a legitimate sole trader so this is my life now but I'm pretty happy with it and I think it's it's also probably an important point to note that while you know so much of this as you say kind of took you by surprise by how quickly it's taken off and the fact that it's now your full-time job but I am interested to hear a bit more about, you know, that doesn't just happen. There is so much work that you're doing, you know, however many hours in recipe testing before something gets shared. There's a lot more than what we just see that you share on Instagram that goes has gone into kind of building this. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think what happened to me was at a very uh, it was very timely and it was that perfect storm of, you know, me losing my job, us going into isolation, everyone needing, you know, cooking content to turn to for inspiration as their next meal. But I guess, like in most things, it's, um, it's not about what happens to you, it's about how you react to it. And I decided to turn that into uh potentially a career and see if that was something and I I don't think I would have done that if I hadn't have ended up in that position if that makes sense I think like you mentioned it was something that I'd thought about about a year ago to to pursue as a side hustle but you always kind of push those things to the side and say you're too 
busy and too, um, you know, time poor to, to kind of put that time and effort in. So you kind of do it as a hobby. But um, I guess what happens when you lose a job and you've got absolutely nothing to lose anymore is you kind of just do something and see how it goes. And that's essentially what I did. But from there in the last four months, it has been a lot of work. But I guess for me, it's been good because I've been able to take all the experiences and things I've learned from my time in brand management, but then also social media and then also influencer marketing. And I've been able to put that into my personal brand, I guess. And it's been refreshing to also do that in an in a totally different industry, but one that I'm equally passionate about. So taking all the things I learned from beauty, putting it into food, and then being able to do it my way without having to deal with, uh, I guess, a boss or approvals or a international company um, holding you back. So um, it's kind of been freeing, but also hard work, but nothing yeah, you, you can never achieve anything without a lot of hard work. <laughs> and it is incredible to see the sheer number of people, like my feed is constantly full of people cooking your recipes. And I wonder, aside from obviously the timing of it all, what do you think it is about your style and your approach to cooking that people have so resonated with? Or what do you strive to do with each of your recipes? Because there are hundreds if not thousands of chefs that people could be making but they're choosing to do your recipes I think for me it would be I think it's definitely the style of food that I put out there but then it's also the way that I present it so when I say style for me it's really about comforting relatively easy and home cooked style meals it's you're not going to get fine dining degustation um but you're not going to get like super super simple for me it's about sharing and cooking essentially food that I crave like anything that you see that I put out as a recipe just came from me really wanting to eat that (laughs) so I just made it and shared it like for example, last week when I shared the fried rice recipe, that was just because I was actually craving fried rice. But I also saw BBC Good Food share a really terrible way to cook rice and I was appalled and I felt like I had to do a public service announcement to show people how to cook rice properly. But yeah, most of my food is really what I love to eat and I think what people would love. And second to that, I think what... I try to aim to do is show people how to cook food in a really easy step-by-step visual process because one of the things that I was always quite frustrated by, especially when I was first learning to cook for myself via cookbooks and, and recipes online, is they only show you the end result. They only show you the, the dish and how it's meant to look at the end, but they never show you the process in between and they don't explain the rationale as to why you do this um, and when you should and how it should look. So when you have a look at the way I present my recipes, it's in that step-by-step Instagram story process that is really bite-sized but pretty key and you can check in with it. But it's quite educational but also accessible and a little bit fun. So nothing too serious, um, just really delicious food. 
the fifth product on your list is a bit of a collection of the products that you always repurchase. And there are some fantastic ones here. So for you, it is the go-to face hero oil, go-to transformazing mask, the Kevin Aquan curling mascara, which I think is that mascara you alluded to earlier. And then finally, we've got an SPF, the Mecha Cosmetica to save face SPF 50 plus. So tell me about a few of these and why these are the ones that you will always have stocked So we'll start off with GoTo Face Hero. I first found out about this product last year when GoTo launched into Mecca. So it was April last year. And I think that's the product really that helped me fall in love with serums. I think I've always been that person who uses cream moisturizers or... um, yeah, basically, yeah, creams for for skincare, and using GoTo has pretty much changed my life because it's something now that I use in the morning after I've cleansed my skin, and then it's something that I'll use even at night. It's kind of like a do it all, amazing product that's not only relatively uh, cheap for a serum, but um, you definitely see results and you can use it as a primer. You can use it as a moisturizer. You can, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I, it's just like a, I would always repurchase that. I can't even explain it. And also it smells really good because go-to products have like a slight kind of gardenia jasmine scent. I think you can smell it more so in the body product, but you'll get a little hint of that in face hero. So it's kind of like my scent that I like with the diptyque Olene. Um, Transformazing masks, hands down, the best purchase you'll ever make, the best $9 you'll ever spend, and is one of the only masks that I've ever tried that will give you an immediate glow after using it. So it's great for event prep. So if you've got a special occasion and you kind of want an extra glow of radiance that's instant, it's great. But I think also it's just, again, a relatively affordable um, but great product that actually delivers results. Then we move on to Kevin Aquan Curling Mascara. So that is, yes, it is now kind of like the um, 10 years later me finding another curling mascara. It's just, it's so good. I, I think um, I first got recommended it by a colleague um at my old work and she raved about it and I kind of you know when you get recommendations and you're like oh yeah cool whatever but you never actually act on it yeah it was like that and then I kind of obviously in my job saw influencers and makeup artists really talk about it and say it was amazing so I felt like okay well I should probably try it so I finally did probably only late last year which is terrible, but I swear and live and die by it now. Um, I, yeah, I will 100% repurchase that for years to come, I can assure you. Um, And then finally, Mecca Cosmetica to save face 50 plus is a staple because SPF is so important. If you're not wearing SPF, then you need to come and um, get out of get um get out under the rock you're living in and wear it. Specifically, the Mecca one is great because it was one of the first ones I tried that wasn't oily, and I could wear it on top of, like, say, a serum and moisturizer, and it didn't feel like another layer. It doesn't provide a white cast on my skin tone, which is even better. 
And it's obviously 50 plus, which is the maximum you can get in Australia. So it's for me, I will wear go-to face here in the morning, then maybe like a vitamin C serum, then chuck on that SPF 50. And regardless of whether I put on makeup or not, um, I'm always wearing that. And regardless of whether I leave the house or not, it's just something that I've now, it's become second nature. It doesn't matter if I've had a shower and I'll probably go to bed, I'll most likely still, you know, wear it. Um, and I think it's really important. Everyone should be doing that. Very important reminder and particularly important on Beauty Island as well. You're going to need your SPF. <laughs> yes. You described earlier your food, you know, is obviously that delicious food that you're craving that's not necessarily is about not being overly complex or too difficult. It's about wanting wanting you and encouraging you to cook and I suppose enjoying cooking as well as much as eating it. So I would love to know from you, and I imagine this is, you know, the kind of question that's very easy to ask but hard to answer. If there was kind of one tip that you would say about kind of leveling up your cooking, whether it's a certain ingredient that you have in the cupboard that you can add to things or um, a condiment or, or whatever it is or a way of doing things that is kind of not too difficult but is really about leveling up your your cooking in the taste what would you say put chili oil on it <laughs> I thought <laughs> look I think there's so many tips out there and like the the answers would be endless but I think if if you follow me and you know me you'll realize that chili oil is a staple and I think it's the best and easiest way to really amp up flavor instantaneously. You don't necessarily have to love chili and spice, but it is one of those condiments that I believe transcends cuisines and cultures. And not only is it great to dress at the end of a dish, like say drizzle it on a pasta or a pizza or some noodles, you can actually use it at the start of your cooking, say when you're sauteing onions and garlic, you throw in a little bit of chili oil and that infused oil that has you know spices and aromatics already into it will really amp up the flavor of whatever you're cooking. So it'll taste as though you've spent an hour, but you've only spent 10 seconds. So yeah, it's, I mean, I, I think case closed, just put chili oil in it or put chili oil in it in some way and um, you'll definitely appreciate and enjoy it. And as we've said, it's still kind of early days, but what is next? What are kind of the, the goals or the things you're looking towards for? I think it's a hard one because I think you can have a very long-term vision, but given the way that the year is going, you also have to maintain that agility to really just pivot on a day to week to month basis. So I think for me at the moment, it's really about being able to manage my workload and, and, and shift and kind of adapt to this new career because it still is really new to me. So there's little things that I'm learning every day as a sole trader and a business owner now all the things you have to do and wearing so many hats it's I think it becomes about working smarter and not harder um, but yeah long term in terms of what's next for me I don't necessarily know but I would love for this for my cooking to not just 
obviously live on Instagram um, because I'm very conscious to, to not be so reliant on one social media platform. Um, so yeah, I'm at the moment trying to build a website that I want to house all my recipes in as well as find different ways and experiences for people to enjoy my cooking, whether it's virtual or um, in physical form or in different types of mediums. So lots ahead. And I just think there's not enough hours in the day and I don't have enough hands to be able to do it all, but I'll do it bit by bit. Lots of exciting things to look forward to, I think. The sixth product on your list is the one that gives you a confidence boost. And for you, it's all about having good hair. And the particular tool for that is the very aptly named GHD straightener. So tell me about how you use this one. It's funny because I didn't actually do my hair today. I just washed it. (laughs) Um, But yes, I love the GHD hair straightener. It is pretty much the only hair styling tool that I use other than a blow dryer or a hair dryer um, because I like to use it mainly to curl my hair versus straighten and I bought one when I was 16. Was I 16? I can't even remember. No, I think I was like 20. So I bought one when I was 20 and guess what? It took 10 years for it to die and break down late last year. So I bought a new one. I don't know. For me, it's like when I find something, I'll just hang on to it until it dies. And this is just like living proof that that had lasted a whole decade. So I swear by it. It's the best investment you'll ever um, purchase for your hair in terms of styling and it's also really versatile. I guess I think that's what I like. Most of my products that I've listed, the ones that are my ride or dies are pretty versatile and multi-purpose. So you can use it to straighten, you can use it to curl, which is mainly what I do. And I think for me, similar to skin, when I have like good skin, when I have good hair is when I feel the most confident. So I could probably walk, yeah, I would walk out of the house with good hair and good skin but no makeup and I'd feel perfectly fine or I'd probably feel at my peak (laughs) Um, and I guess that's kind of what I've been doing especially during isolation as well as a little bit of a pick-me-up I'll kind of take the time to really wash my hair blow dry it nicely and style it and then I you know I get to enjoy that for a couple of days or so and even though I'm not technically going out it kind of makes me feel better and I feel it's nice because when I when we weren't and when we were in I guess whatever normal life was in the past I probably didn't really have that much time to do my hair as much as I do now so I would just kind of you know maybe blow dry it and stick it in a ponytail or something like that. But now I'm kind of finding joy in, in taking the time to do something like that. You mentioned earlier a beauty cabinet and I'm curious about your personal beauty collection. Well, well firstly, whether your kind of the greatest joy for you comes from playing with skincare or playing with makeup. And then also from that collection, would you describe yourself as kind of a minimalist or a maximalist? Oh, I don't know. That's a really hard question. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm going to say maximalist because of the sheer number of products I have. And I, 
you know, just as a gauge, I have, you know, colossal cat eyes mascara from, say, over five years ago. <laughs> so, yeah, so I have like a, a trunk that has products and then I have our spare room where I have the trunk, but then I have other products there and then I have my bathroom and I have the products that I normally use and go to then I don't know I th- I have like shoe boxes that have beauty products versus shoes so that's just a way to paint the picture um but yeah where do I find the most joy for me it kind of comes in every category I think um you know makeup is really fun because it's expressive and you can really transform yourself visually um skincare is great because I think it's really important to look after your skin and but you do see especially when it comes to good products visual results as well and um, it's it's a really nice way to to look after yourself as well whether it's like a mask or kind of like a way to relax and wind down and then hair is 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 also really fun and like I said the way that I kind of um get a bit more confidence in terms of feeling really good with great hair I mean who doesn't and on on that kind of you mentioned some of your current favorites I'd love to hear about so I suppose starting with hair you have a shampoo and conditioner that you love from Pureology what is it about these I think it's the smell that you love is it I think I'm I'm definitely obsessed with smell and I think that kind of (laughs) kind of falls into food as well but um, Pureology is a really great brand. It's also part of L'Oreal, but I didn't really, I didn't really originally like it actually. Um, and it's because I was using it incorrectly. So it's, especially with the shampoo, you actually have to wash, shampoo your hair twice to get the best results. Um, but then what's more about this specific product is the conditioner is amazing because it is mint flavored and you get that really fresh minty clean smell and feeling which I absolutely love when I wash my hair um but yeah Pureology is great because it um, doesn't have any parabens and any of those kind of nasties but it's still salon grade quality product and my hair feels very kind of nourished but then super clean as well which is like the ultimate when you want to find like a holy grail shampoo conditioner and then on foundations you have said that you love stick foundations so we've got the Westman Atelier Vital Stick Foundation and of course the Hourglass Vanish Stick Foundation team stick foundations sell it to me (laughs) (laughs) such an unpopular opinion but Maybe it's because I grew up using that Max Factor pan stick thing from yonks ago. Stick foundations are actually really easy because you just kind of smear it on and then you can use a brush or you can use your fingers to to um, apply it. And I think stick foundations have that bad rap because of, you know, that pancake um and really kind of what do you what do you call it it's like the heavy cakey you know connotations that you think of stick foundation from the 90s 
But I think now, especially with all the new brands and the technology that we have, like Stick Foundation is really easy to use. It's gorgeous, buildable coverage. And it's something that I like to use as well because it's quite clean. So I don't even have to touch the foundation. I can, I can use, um, I can apply it straight from the stick and then use um, a brush. Whereas say foundation, well, liquid foundation can be quite uh, messy, whether it's, you know, the, the pump might spill in your beauty cabinet or you have to kind of pump it into your hand and then apply it with your fingers first or before a brush. Um, so it's kind of like a little go-to and, and, you know, even if you wanted to go away for the weekend, not that we can right now, but, um, if you wanted to take it with you, it's actually really easy, especially the size that it is. So it's kind of like a giant concealer. <laughs> and then finally we have, we all love a multitasker. So we've got the, the Laura Mercier bronzer, which you're actually using on your eyes, which is interesting. The Laura Mercier bronzer in the deepest shade. I can't remember specifically what that shade is. It's a nice bronzer that has a, a a sheen to it a very slight sheen it's nothing glittery but um just gives you a really nice glow and especially on my skin tone but I find it's just a really good way to wash your eyes with a bit of color that is um going to complement the rest of your makeup um but then also you don't have to you know reach for another eyeshadow or change over with a brush or so so I would literally sweep bronzer with the same brush and then sweep it over my eyes, which I think is a really good two-for-one deal. Definitely. We are coming to the final two products on your list. So number seven is the product that you would trust with your life, which is another hair product, which is the Batiste Dry Shampoo Powder in the original pink. Um, You say you've tried a fair few, so tell me why this is the one that's earned this (laughs) honour. I think for me, when it comes to beauty products, it just needs to do what it says it does, but then it doesn't have to be super exy. It can't, it needs to be for me affordable, something that you're going to be able to reach to and not feel the pinch when you go to buy it. So it's super affordable. I think it's $15 or so, and it's available in very vast distribution and yeah, for me, I, I don't know what it is, but I use it and it, it seems to make my hair or yeah, my hair go the distance more than any other kind of salon or expensive dry shampoo that I've used before. Like Now, I know that you are a fan of the Brilliant Food podcast, Table Manners, hosted by Jessie Ware and her mum, which I also love. So I thought um, for the one of the final questions, I would ask you, uh, a common question that they ask their guests, which is if you were to have your dream meal, so that's starter, main course and dessert, whether that's you cooking it or someone else doing it for you, what would what would be on the menu? Oh, this is such a hard question. And I do, you didn't prepare me for this. <laughs> and it could be what you were what we what you would feel like today. You don't have to set it in stone as your ultimate meal, if that makes it yeah, easier. Yeah, for sure. That is, um, yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's like the what's your death row meal? That's a, such a hard question. Um, but no, I love, I love Jessie Ware and her mum. I think the banter between the two is hilarious and I almost listen to it for that more so than the person who they interview. Absolutely. Um, 
And I just, I love because obviously they invite people over to their home and they cook them a meal. So it's, it's a really nice, it's almost like you're there with them, but yeah, they do ask this question a lot. Um, dream meal has to have a lot of good food and a lot of good wine and cocktails, not just about the food. It's about the wine and the cocktails. So I think I would obviously start off with champagne and I would have like freshly shucked oysters with some kind of mignonette or dressing that goes with it. Um, that would be an ideal way to start. You would have some form of platter, whether it's, you know, bread, cheeses, both, charcuterie, um, and then I think there'd have to be, I'm also, sorry, I'm going to actually tell you a whole menu. I'm not really going to just tell you one dish. <laughs> it, yeah, there has to be some kind of bread, probably my focaccia because that is like the bee's knees and definitely has to have a pasta somewhere in there. I think for me, I really love quite simple but balanced pastas. So like a pasta ayo e oyo or like a um, even my like roasted tomato pasta, which is really simplistic but just super balanced is nice. Um, there'd have to be a, a highlight protein dish. So, oh God, that's really hard. Do you know what I've finally made and conquered? I recently made a beef wellington. Yum. Yes. And I used, it was a fusion of like Gordon Ramsay and a few other um, chefs and, and YouTube cooks um, that I created my own version. But um, I think something as like extravagant as that would be really cool. Otherwise, like a really slow roasted lamb shoulder or like a crispy pork belly, something like that's going to stand out. Um, you'd have to complement that with a really nice fresh salad or fresh vegetable sides. And then I think you would have to end on a pretty good dessert. And dessert-wise, I think because we're in winter right now, I really love apple tartetan. I think it's just, it's such an underrated dessert because it's so easy to make, but it tastes ridiculous I think it actually tastes better than an apple pie because you get that soft apple that's roasted but you get that toffee caramelly texture and then you get the flaky puff pastry and if you eat that super hot with cold creamy vanilla ice cream it's like the hot cold sensation that's just like the ultimate way to end especially a winter meal um, but yeah, and also just like a whole lot of cocktails peppered throughout that whole process as well. <laughs> so yeah, sorry. I think that like probably took five minutes to, um, explain, but that's pretty much how I come up with menus when I have friends over. Like that's just literally me. I just go, what do I crave? What do I feel like? And I'm kind of, yeah, start from there and, and, and build it all out. Very worthy choices. Love that. We come to the final product on your list, which is your holy grail or greatest discovery. And we've got the Herbario cleansing oil and cleansing powder. 
and I have a few a few people on the podcast have obviously mentioned Herbario. I hear such great things, um, and I know that you love both the products and the brands. So tell me why they are so special that they've become your holy grail. Mm, who else has mentioned Herbario? I'm actually really intrigued to know. Yeah, Amy Staff. Oh, uh, yeah. Who loves coming down? And yes. I think. Um, a few others probably on her recommendation as well. Oh, love. Well, Herbario's been around for ages. It's owned by Vali and her husband, and they own a little store on, Chap- in, um, on Chapel Street in Paran. And it recently launched in Mecca just as I left in March. But, um, yeah, not many people know about it, but... And I never really heard about it until it came across um, my desk, I guess. And it's really changed my life because it's changed the way my skin is, especially after I've cleansed it, Um, specifically the cleansing oil with the cleansing powder. So if you – I've obviously – I love now using oil cleansers um, which I think is for, for anyone who's beauty obsessed, it's, you know, everyone knows about them, but what makes this a game changer is that you use this, um, this powder, it's kind of, it's kind of like it exfoliates your skin almost. Um, but you apply the oil and then you use the powder and you kind of rub that in. So it kind of feels a little bit oily, but, um, exfolianty, but a bit pasty almost. And, but essentially Vali and her husband are, you know, very experienced years of knowledge and, and chemists as well. And they developed this whole range that is derived from, you know, herbs and botanicals. So it's, very very natural and and they were you know one of the first especially you know in Australia to do that even way before some other brands that we that are well known um and this product it it not only smells amazing in terms of you know being super like there's like you know that kind of essential oil herb herbaceous and botanical smell when you're using it but I think one of the things that they do, especially at their store, they do these um, revelation massage um, facials where she uses a lot of force. Uh, It's almost like, um, I guess, lymphatic drainage um, on your face and it really will change the way you look and feel. And I guess I think this cleansing oil and powder is really meant to emulate that and allow you to do that yourself versus having to go in to see her. Jess, you have talked us through the eight products and a few other ones that have a special memory or meaning for you or that you love using. And for the final question, I want to know that if you could only take one of them with you to Beauty Island, you can have SPF, so that doesn't count. But if you could, I can see your face. I, see <laughs> I know. Face. I'm, I'm in so much pain. <laughs> if you could only take one with you, it doesn't have to be practical. It can be sentimental or for whatever. But which one would you take with? Oh, you're killing me. Oh, that's so hard. <laughs> Literally, you, you like I know people say this, but it's like trying to figure out between your children which one you would mm. you would choose. this is so hard I think for me it's probably going to be like take my perfume with me because 
scent really you know either lifts your mood or it makes you feel mm. good or it really connects you to a memory or an emotion and that's similar to I guess food so it, it'd be you know a little spritz and make me feel good and feel like I have my shit together if I'm on a on a deserted island by myself and not go crazy so yeah if I could have SBF and a spritz of my favorite perfume then I think I'd be pretty happy excellent choice <laughs> that was so hard <laughs> Jeff it has been such a delight to talk about the power of food and beauty and so many great product recommendations as well so thank you so much for taking us on your beauty journey with us not a problem at all it's actually been really fun talking about the two in tandem thank you so much for listening to this celebration of food and beauty in this episode of beauty island with the fabulous jessica newen you can find where to follow her so you can start cooking all her creations plus all the products she spoke about in today's episode in the show notes if you fancy chatting more beauty you can find me on my personal beauty account instagram account at Brittany beauty bts where i regularly share products i'm loving and talk about all aspects of beauty culture as well as this podcast or you can sign up to my regular beauty newsletter called it's a beauty think of it as a light funny and helpful beauty column full of reviews and recommendations delivered straight to your inbox thank you so much and until next time bye bye